0: lot of false advertising. We're not having a fellowship meal every week. In two weeks we will be having a fellowship meal, but we will have some coffee there to enjoy Uh, afterwards. Please linger. We are going through the gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. While you're getting there, uh, please allow me to pray over this time. Father God, we do ask that your word speaks. And we know that that only happens through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may these not just be words that we receive in our mind, but may they be words that we receive in our heart and then in our activity, in ways that transform our very lives. Jesus, perk our hearts this morning to be aware, to be alert. Prick our hearts, if so, be, be if there's a need. Lord, may anything that is just of me, may that fall away, and may all that is left be of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next couple of weeks, as we enter into Mark chapter 4, we'll be um, in a section that Mark is giving us a taste of Jesus' teaching in respect to parables. Short stories, illustrations, metaphors that drive home a moral or spiritual lesson. This morning we'll focus on the the first in the series of parables. Uh, Mark, as we've discussed, is not as heavy on the words of Jesus as are the other Gospels. He's very action-driven, and we've seen Jesus very much in action. In a sense, actions speak louder than words. But here we enter into a sampling of Jesus' teaching... And this parable that we're going to enter into today is called by many uh, uh, the key that unlocks the parables that will follow. And fortunately for us, not only do we have the parable um, that he gives to a large group, to the crowds, but we also kind of have an inside seat as Jesus explains this parable to a smaller group of inquiring disciples. So we'll start by reading. We're going to go through the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 4. We'll start by reading the first 12. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables And in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said to him, to he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So we'll stop there. A story about dirt. Jesus is again teaching in the open air. We get a little bit of that taste, even in this setting. Um, he wasn't confined to buildings. He's, we often find him on a hillside, or at the seashore. Here he is teaching from a boat moored in the shallows of the water to a very large crowd. We actually get the sense that Mark may be saying, this is the largest crowd yet. He begins with a simple call to listen. Listen. Charles Stanley used to always do that all during his teachings, right? Is he still teaching, Charles Stanley? Listen, listen, friends, listen. A call for focus. A a call to pay attention, to, to give the time to tune in, to concentrate, to consider what's being said. Now, we might say, aren't they already listening? Isn't that why they're there? But we're clued in here, I think, that there's listening that goes beyond just hearing. There's a listening to Jesus' parables that takes a bit of work. It's a different kind of listening, a different kind of thinking. It's a processing with an open heart and an open mind in a way that's spiritually receptive. A couple of weeks ago, Cheryl and I and my daughter Amber went and did our first escape room. Anybody ever do that? An escape room? Okay, a few people. Um, It was set up by good old Joel. We're going to miss Joel. Joel Davis is going to be moving. One life is moving him on. It's been a great, great pleasure for you to be a friend over these many months. Uh, But Joel's family actually runs a business that sets up escape rooms down south. So Joel set up this escape room um, down in one of the stables over at Three Springs and invited Cheryl and I and and Amber uh, over to try and escape. So we get there and he um, explained to us that we've been captured by pirates. So of course he he plays the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack all through our, our time there. And he says that um, the pirates are, I guess, up, uh, up on the deck, we're down below deck, and they're drinking and making merry, but in an hour, they're going to be off, and if we uh, don't get out in an hour, we'll be at lost at sea forever. Um, so we began, and, and in this escape room, there's a bunch of boxes, and a bunch of locks, and a bunch of clues, and a bunch of brain teasers. And we realize quickly that that to get out of this room is going to take a different way of thinking. It's going to to take some thinking that's out of the box. How do we line up these numbers? What's the clue here? You know, what what do we need to see that we normally would overlook? Thinking out of the box. We died. reality. So, 12 more minutes, 12 more minutes. We would, hopefully, they were up longer. We would have been okay, but we died. So, Jesus' use of parables is actually, we could say, twofold, at least twofold. Uh, for one, they give a simple, memorable, and relatable way to convey what we may call heavenly realities but by the means of kind of real, normal, everyday, earthly examples. Uh, but secondly, they test the spiritual receptiveness of the listener, of the hearer. Um, they, in that sense, they, we could say they sift the wheat from the chaff. By nature, parables both reveal and hide. So, it's a really interesting, if, if anything, genius way for Jesus to convey truth. They reveal and they hide, depending on one's spiritual receptivity. Uh, the seventeenth-century Blaise Pascal. So Blaise, there you go. There's Blaise Pascal. Wrote: There is enough light for those who only desire to see, and enough obscurity for those who desire the contrary. There's enough light for those who only desire to see, and enough obscurity. For those who desire the contrary. If the parables are to be understood, it it puts some onus on the listener to put the work in. To make some moral and spiritual connections. To have some discernment. And then to act accordingly. To think outside of the box. And then to say, how does this relate to my real, everyday life? And then go and do Right? It's not just about intellectual ascent. Too many people do that with religion. Too many people do that with Christianity. They say, oh, I've got it. Now I understand. Oh, now, now I get it. Now I've arrived. Because it's here. But Jesus says, if you're not putting it into practice, you're still the foolish man. It's the wise man that builds his house on a rock. And what that means is, as he says in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, that the wise man hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Otherwise, we're fools. Parables are then a form of invitation. An invitation with those who have eyes to actually see and those who have ears to actually hear and those who have hearts to actually be receptive and to turn from their sin to God and find forgiveness and transformation. To those who apply themselves and then gain these pearls of wisdom, more doors are opened to those who continue to ignore and rebuff. These are just random, trite stories, and the doors are tighter and tighter, and they're remaining shut. So, this is a perfect, purposeful tactic of Jesus— employed with the crowds that are flocking around him. Some want healing. Some come to test him. And others just want to witness a show. I was told if the wind picks up that I should turn this way. (laughs) But this is awkward for you folks here. (laughs) The question really seems with Jesus is, how serious were they about the kingdom rule of God? How serious were they about the message advancing in and through them? And then we should say, How serious am I? And many, many, it's interesting, Jesus uses this terminology here about those who are inside and those who are outside. And many, many Christians are, are rightfully sensitive and, and, and kind of cringe and recoil to, to this to the abuses that have so often been used when we have this kind of inside and outside mindset, this inside and outsider mentality and approach to Christianity. And and many abuses there have been. But yet, at the same time, we're, we're also in those things very quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we need to realize that Jesus sometimes appropriately used that very terminology. So it shouldn't be completely ignored. Because in the end, there really are only two stances to Jesus. There's no neutral ground. There's no shrugging your shoulders with Jesus. There really is, I receive Jesus as God the Son, my Savior, my Lord, or I reject Him. I do not acknowledge that He is that in my life. There's no neutral ground. His invitation, his desire, is that you would receive him. The elements of the story are fairly simple. A farmer is sowing seed by hand. I actually, really, so what, in, in the first century, this would be really standard practice, and I and I didn't have any seeds, so now I've got, like, this little handful, like Johnny Appleseed here, uh, with, squ- like, some squash seeds, but it would have been very standard practice for a first century um, farmer to have just a bag of seed over his hand and to spread it over his shoulder and just to spread his seeds by hand. Now, right now I'm spreading it on concrete, but you get the idea. So he's just, he just spreads his seed and the seed falls on various conditions having various results. But what, why does a farmer sow seed? Yeah, to produce a crop, right? So that's, that's a pretty simple, understandable, earthy illustration. A farmer will sow seed to produce a crop. Some seed falls on a path where it doesn't even germinate, and it's consumed by birds. Uh, some seed falls on the rocks where the seed is quick to sprout, but just as quick to wither because the roots are shallow. Some seed falls in the thorns, where the seed is just choked out by the weeds. It's rendered fruitless. And then there's some seeds that land on fertile soil. And the seed germinates. And it produces, really, what the, the illustration Jesus gives, it produces a ridiculous crop. Even though that crop varies. It would have, it would have been a bumper crop. Above and beyond expectation. Abundantly fruitful. Verses 13 through 20. Then Jesus said to them, and now again, this is a smaller group of disciples, including the 12, that are inquiring about the parables. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and receive it, and and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown." So later, some of these disciples come and and inquire. They're asking Jesus, Jesus, what's going on? You wonder, were they a little bit bashful, you know, in the larger crowd to say, Hey, Jesus, we need a little bit of explanation here. But they're faithful to pursue Jesus afterward and sit with him and say, We need more explanation. We need to know what you're talking about. This this story of, of seeds and dirt and soil and rocks and weeds. And in this, Jesus gives a gentle rebuke. You know, basically saying, if you don't get this parable, how are you going to get any of the parables? And again, Jesus is indicating that this is a key that will unlock all his teaching to come. But to the one who truly seeks Jesus... To the one who is truly seeking him out in faith. Seeking out what, what he calls in verse 11, the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. And again, that word is used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, not as something that is now hidden. But as something that was formerly hidden. And now in God's perfect timing, disclosed to those who are seeking. This secret will be revealed to those who seek the Lord. But to those who do not seek Jesus in faith, who do not have perceiving eyes, understanding ears, receiving hearts, the result will be that the parables, and then Jesus himself, will will remain an unformed puzzle. Jesus again goes through the elements of the story. The farmer is sowing the word. In other words, there's a proclamation of the word of God. It's to be understood as the good news of the kingdom of God. What Jesus was proclaiming. That that God's kingdom rule was among them. And it was found in Jesus. This is the word that the disciples are to go and proclaim. That God's kingdom rule is available. That it must be surrendered to in Jesus. The seed is sown liberally. It's sown in all kinds of places, on all kinds of soil. It's sown so liberally that any soil that would receive it, it's available to. But not everybody hears and receives the message. It depends on the heart of the hearer. Some, again, are only concerned as they come to Jesus about what they can get. Lord, heal me. Lord, fix my now situation now, and then I'll go on my merry way. Others doubt his claims altogether. Even last week we saw even his family at that time was, were doubting him, were even maybe thinking that he had gone out of his wits, lost his senses, gone mad. Others were already antagonists, and some were true disciples. Each soil Relates to how different hearts respond to the message. Jesus here is relating you to dirt. What kind of dirt are you? What kind of soil are you? The seed on the path eaten by the birds is like a person who, as soon as they hear the message, it's snatched up by Satan. It never has any time to germinate. This represents the hard heart. The hard heart. It's hard toward Jesus being the way and the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. Those are the claims that Jesus made. That there's only one way, and it's me. Peter, when Peter speaks in the beginning of Acts, he says there's only one name in, under heaven and, and on earth that, by which man can be saved, and it's, a, and it's the name of Jesus. But the hard heart refuses that. It might be a person that says, okay, maybe other people need Jesus, and maybe it's a really good crutch for them, and maybe it's something that helps them get through life, but I don't. And maybe the person that feels like they're plenty good on their own accord, that, that when they stand before God, they can just kind of pull out the list of their good deeds and merits and say, here I am, God, surely you'll accept me. It might be a person that doesn't even believe that there's one God. Never mind that Jesus is who he says he is as he proclaims to be God's son. Or it could be someone that, that as life has gone on, they've become disillusioned about what following Jesus is. they become bitter. they become hurt. Disappointed. Is your heart hard? It's interesting as a preacher, I must say. And again, I'm not judging people as I look around the room. I know people listen differently. And, but it's interesting because you do realize that every time you preach, people receive it differently. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. That even for him, as he was preaching, people received it differently. And some just had hard hearts. Some, some can hear a sermon. Some can hear this sermon. And then even this morning, have, have kind of a twinge and say, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's something about Jesus that I need to check out. But then as soon as we sing the last song and as soon as the conversation starts, hard is hard, out to the car, what a beautiful day, on with my life. The seeds sown along the rocks Sprouts, but but it sprouts quickly, and it withers quickly. So this is the next example Jesus gives us. It, it represents a shallow heart. It's that person that seems to happily and even excitedly receive the gospel. Yay, Jesus! <laughs> That's awesome. I can go to heaven. I can come to him and bow before him and ask for forgiveness, and he's going to forgive my sins, and I go to heaven. Everything's great. Jesus said there's all kinds of promises, all kinds of blessings, and they're all mine. And that's true. That's all true. But the problem is when discipleship gets difficult, when following Jesus gets hard, listen, it always gets hard, right? It always gets hard. There's always times that you're like, Lord, what's going on? And and why am I going through this? And there's still going to be pain. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't say in this world, you won't have trouble. He says, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart in me. I'm the overcomer. So, but when discipleship gets hard, and it always will... the shallow heart doesn't stick with it. This is a reason I think that we can't we should not sugarcoat what it is to follow Jesus. Or that and again not to be a harsh judge here or we shouldn't boil christianity down to okay everybody close your eyes, everybody bow your head, s- stick up your hand when no one's li- looking and now you're a follower of Jesus. Now it is one step of faith, but it's not meant to be a secret. It's meant to be a public acknowledgement. This is who I am. That's what baptism is about, right? I'm with the Lord. The Lord is with me. I'm going to show it to the world. And it's a beautiful thing. Coming to Jesus means forgiveness. Just last week, right? All sins can be forgiven, except those who are obstinate and blaspheming towards the Holy Spirit that harden their heart. There can be forgiveness. There can be the love of God that's undeserved. There can be eternal life. There are promises of heaven. There can be the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering and the guidance of God, even within my very life. There can be a new community that I enter into, a new family. But it also means change. Coming to Jesus also means self-denial. It also means taking up my cross daily and saying there's all kinds of things that go on in my heart that I can't trust, that I got to say no to, that I got to trust the Lord in. It also means working out life within community, and that's hard. It also means that at times following Jesus is going to be very countercultural, even at times that you'll be laughed at and ridiculed or rejected. And this is a sort of difficulty in which the shallow heart says it's not worth it. The seed among the thorns also germinates but it's crowded out by worry and greed and lust and other pursuits and passions so it's fruitless. So we have, we have the hard heart and we have the shallow heart. We could call this the cluttered heart or the preoccupied heart. Worry displaces trust in God. And then you look to what Jesus calls the deceitfulness of wealth. And, then, and he talks about then other pursuits. It could be all kinds of other things, and other lusts, and other pleasures, and other activities. It's deceitful because it gives a sense of security, but it's a false security. The deceitfulness of wealth, the busyness of life fill in. The cluttered heart says, life just gets in the way. This Jesus thing might be a good idea, but I've got so much to do. There's so many things that occupy my time, so many activities and social media, and there's work to be done and projects to be had and hobbies to engage in. They take up my time, they take up my attention, they take up my energy, and ultimately, I look back and say, they've taken up my heart. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the cluttered heart. But there are situations in which there's fertile soil. And there's in that fertile soil, there's room for deep roots. And this is the receptive heart. The person who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord, who devotes themselves to him as a disciple and grows and perseveres in their faith, they don't allow the seed to be snatched away. They don't allow the seed to, to be choked out. They don't give up under difficulty. They're not distracted by worry and greed and lust and the and like. That doesn't mean you're perfect. <laughs> All of us fail, but the, tra- the trajectory remains the same. You fall down, you get up, and you keep walking with Jesus. And instead the message grows deep and it produces a great harvest although again Jesus is clear that even the harvest will vary but the expectation is great. And what is that harvest? I believe it's both inward and outward. It's, on, it's, it's onward and upward. First and foremost it is salvation. It is reconciliation with God, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But then it's to know God better and better. And you never stop doing that. He's infinite. And then when I do that, I get to know myself better. And as the Holy Spirit starts working in me knowing myself better, in that safe place of the love of God, there's refinement and more refinement and more refinement in my character. And the fruit of this should be my relationship and my walk with Jesus overflows in the lives of others, overflows in my relationships and in how I respond to my spouse and my kids and my workmates and schoolmates, whatever it may be. Jesus' parables generally have a central truth. They're, it's again, there's a, there's a paradox here because they're deep, but there's a sense they're very simple. We don't need to be kind of like the, the spiritual Gnostics that overly mystify every detail. In, fa- in fact, a lot of people do a lot of damage that way. But, but they're inviting us to process the spiritual meaning behind the story. Or we're lazy and we're hard-hearted and we dismiss it. But if we're to understand and apply, it takes work. It takes cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God. So how should as we wrap up, how should this impact us? For one, I'd say we, we shouldn't be surprised when other people respond in these various ways. Um, have any of you been really discouraged by the person that seems so excited about the Lord and then three months later they're they're gone? That should be discouraging. That should be even sad, but not shocking there's all kinds of responses because there's all kinds of soil and all kinds of hearts. And Jesus was God in the flesh. And he was preaching to people face to face. And even as God in the flesh is preaching to people face to face, there are some who receive it, some who ignore it, some who are antagonistic toward it, and some, when it gets hard, just walk away. So if that was the experience of Jesus, why should we expect anything different? It should be sad, but it shouldn't be rattling to my faith when the responses vary. But more to the point, we should examine our own lives. Has there been an initial response to faith? Our initial response to the gospel? Have you been receptive soil in the sense of Jesus, I do need your forgiveness. Jesus, I do need your salvation. Jesus, I do need you in my life. I want to know I'm going to be with you forever. I want to know that I'm going to be with you right now. Can you trust that that's made possible in real time and space because Jesus laid his life down for you? That he says, I will take your mess, your sins, your brokenness on myself and there it will die on the cross. And you can find forgiveness with God. And there's the promise of life as Jesus was raised from the dead, victorious over the grave. Have you bent your knee and surrendered to Jesus as Lord, God's kingdom rule in your life? There's initial faith, initial response of good soil. But for others, you've done that years ago. But now you've given up thinking. You've stopped searching. You've stopped asking. You've stopped perceiving. You've stopped knocking. You've stopped praying. You've stopped learning. You've stopped applying. And I don't say that in a harsh judgment. I'm just saying that for some of you, that's real. Some of you have allowed yourselves to get bored with your faith. Let me tell you, Jesus is anything but boring. Following God is anything but boring. And you can blame it on the church, and you can blame it on the preacher, and you can blame it on the worship leader, but what you need to do is say, what's going on in my heart? What's going on with me? Have I stopped seeking? Have I stopped listening? For some, it's been months and years since you could say, God has taught me something new. God has shown me something fresh. For some, God has challenged you in a specific area to do a specific thing or to see specific change, and you've rebuffed him and you've rebuffed him, and now you're wondering why you don't feel like there's any growth in your faith. Because listening means listening and applying. But I think Jesus' bumbling young disciples here are a great encouragement to us, to us all no matter where we're at. They clearly have far to go. Jesus indicates that. How could could you not get this parable? But yet, one of the things that marks them as, as sincere is their persistence. Their persistence. They come to Jesus, tell me, Lord, It's that that persistent widow that won't stop knocking at the door. Tell me, Lord, I need to understand. I need to know you. I need to go deeper. And part of the point of parables is that faith demands persistence. Seeking, asking, knocking, learning, praying, growing. But none of that comes easy. Some people come to church week after week and they, they want a preacher to spoon feed them some, some feel good spiritual motivation. And then they, they go and they make no personal effort through Monday through Saturday and they call that walking by faith. And I don't think Jesus calls that walking by faith. The invitation is much grander, much more beautiful than that. It takes time and dedication to have supple hearts hearts that are plowed over, fertile for the Lord, fertile for God's Spirit, to listen to God's Word through preaching, yes, but wi- walking with God personally, reading, meditating in prayer, responding to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, even when it hurts our pride, even when it, when it, even when it goes against our priorities, <laughs> when He re- redirects our priorities. And then we must be a people that take what God is saying and put them into practice. How should it change my perception? How should it change my thinking? How should it change how I'm responding to life? How should it change my priorities? How should it change how I treat others? Lord, may I not be having the same perceptions, the same responses, the same way that I'm treating others today as I did a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Fertile soil. Jesus is still inviting people with eyes to see, still inviting people with ears to hear, still inviting people with hearts to turn, that they might find forgiveness transformation are you listening let's pray Lord this morning we thank you that you are faithful to teach that you are faithful to push Lord we need pushing So often, our minds and our hearts get numb. We tend towards laziness and apathy. But you want to call us onward and upward. Lord, I I pray against hardness of heart. I pray against shallowness of heart. I pray against clutteredness of heart. Lord, Wherever different people here find them themselves this morning, may they be honest with you. To know that it's a safe place to be honest with you when they're truly turning toward you. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be good soil, hearing, accepting, and applying your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.